before dawn, and the sun was rising beyond the dewy meadows when Almanzo drove his team from the barns. He had to stand on a box to lift the heavy collars onto the horse's shoulders and to slip the bridles over their ears. But he knew how to drive. He had learned when he was little. Father wouldn't let him touch the colts nor drive the spirited young horses. But now that he was old enough to work in the fields, he could drive the old, gentle work team, Bess and Beauty. They were wise, sober mares. When they were turned out to pasture, they did not whinny and gallop like colts. They looked about them, lay down, and rolled once or twice, and then fell to eating grass. When they were harnessed, they stepped sedately one behind the other over the sill of the barn door, sniffed the spring air, then waited patiently for the traces to be fastened. They were older than Almanzo, and he was going on ten. They knew how to make, how, they knew how to plow without stepping on corn, or making the furrows crooked. They knew how to harrow, and to turn at the end of the field. Almanzo would have enjoyed driving them more if they hadn't known so much. He hitched them to the harrow. Last fall, the fields had been plowed and covered with manure. Now the lumpy soil must be harrowed. Bess and Beauty stepped out willingly. Not too fast, yet fast enough to harrow well. They liked to work in the springtime, after the long winter of standing in their stalls. Back and forth across the field, they pulled the harrow, while Almanzo walked behind it, holding the reins. At the end of the row, he turned the team around and set the harrow so that its teeth barely overlapped the strip already harrowed. <clears throat> then he slapped the reins on the horse's rumps and shouted, Get up! And away they went again. All over the countryside, other boys were harrowing too, turning up the moist earth to the sunshine. Far to the north, the St. Lawrence River was a silver streak at the edge of the sky. The woods were clouds of delicate green. Birds hopped, twittering on the stone fences, and squirrels frisked. Amanzo walked, whistling behind his team. When he harrowed the whole field across one way, then he harrowed it across the other way. The harrow's sharp teeth combed again and again through the earth, breaking up the lumps. All the soil must be made mellow and fine and smooth. By and by, Almanzo was too hungry to whistle. He grew hungrier and hungrier. It seemed that noon would never come. He wondered how many miles he had walked, and still the sun seemed to stand still. The shadows seemed not to change at all. He was starving. At last, the sun stood overhead. The shadows were quite gone. Almanzo harrowed another row and another, then at last he heard the horns blowing far and near. Clear and joyful came the sound of Mother's big tin dinner horn. Bess and Beauty pricked up their ears and stepped more briskly. At the edge of the field towards the house, they stopped. Almanzo unhastened the, unfastened the traces and looped them up. And leaving the harrow in the field, he climbed onto Beauty's broad back. 
he rode down to the pump house and let the horses drink. He put them in their stall, took off their bridles, and gave them their grain. A good horseman always takes care of his horses before he eats or rests. But Almanzo hurried. How good dinner was, and how he ate. Father heaped his plate again and again, and mother smiled and gave him two pieces of pie. He felt better when he went back to work, but the afternoon seemed much longer than the morning. He was tired when he rode down to the barns at sunset to do the chores. At supper he was drowsy, and as soon as he had eaten, he climbed upstairs and went to bed. It was so good to stretch out on the soft bed. Before he could pull up the coverlet, he fell fast asleep. In just a minute, Mother's candlelight shone on the stairs and she was calling. Another day had begun. There was no time to lose, no time to waste in rest or play. The life of the earth comes up with a rush in the springtime. All the wild seeds of weed and thistle, the sprouts of vine and bush and tree are trying to take the fields. Farmers must fight them with harrow and plow and hoe. They must plant the good seeds quickly. Almanzo was a little soldier in this great battle. From dawn to dark he worked. From dark to dawn he slept. Then he was up again and working. He harrowed the potato field till the soil was smooth and mellow and every little sprouting weed was killed. Then he helped Royale take the seed potatoes from the bin in the cellar and cut them into pieces, leaving two or three eyes on each piece. Potato plants have blossoms and seeds, but no one knows what kind of potato will grow from a potato seed. All the potatoes of one kind that have ever been grown have come from one potato. A potato is not a seed. It is part of a potato plant's root. Cut it up and plant it, and it will always make more potatoes just like itself. Every potato has several little dents in it that look like eyes. From these eyes, the little roots grow down into the soil, and little leaves push up towards the sun. They eat up the piece of potato while they are small, before they are strong enough to take their food from the earth and the air. Father was marking the field. The marker was a log with a row of wooden pegs driven into it, three and a half feet apart. One horse drew the log crosswise behind him, and the pegs made little furrows. Father marked the field lengthwise and crosswise, so the furrows made little squares. Then the planting began. Father and Royale took their hoes, and Alice and Almanzo carried pails full of pieces of potato. Almanzo went in front of Royale, and Alice went in front of Father, down the rows. At the corner of each square, where the furrows crossed, Almanzo dropped one piece of potato. He must drop it exactly in the corner so that the rows would be straight and could be plowed. Royale covered it with dirt and patted it firm with the hoe. Behind Alice, father covered the piece of potato that she dropped. Planting potatoes was fun. A good smell came from the fresh earth and from the clover fields. Alice was pretty and gay with the breeze blowing her curls and setting her hoop skirts swaying. Father was jolly, and they all talked while they worked. 
Almanzo and Alice tried to drop the potatoes so fast that they'd have a minute at the end of the row to look for birds' nests or chase a lizard into the stone fence. But Father and Royale were never far behind. Father said, Hustle along there, son, hustle along. So they hustled. And when they were far enough ahead, Almanzo plucked a grass stem and made it whistle between his thumbs. Alice tried, but she could not do that. She could pucker her mouth and whistle. Royale teased her. Whistling girls and crowing hens always come to some bad ends. Back and forth across the field they went, all morning, all afternoon, for three days. Then the potatoes were planted. Then father sowed the grain. He sowed a field of wheat for white bread, a field of rye for rye and engine bread, and a field of oats mixed with Canada peas to feed the horses and the cows next winter. While father sowed the grain, Almanzo followed him over the fields with Bess and Beauty, harrowing the seeds into the earth. Almanzo could not sow grain yet. He must practice a long time before he could spread the seeds evenly. That is hard to do. The heavy sack of grain hung from a strap over father's left shoulder. As he walked, he took handfuls of grain from the sack. With a sweep of his arm and a bend of his wrist, he let the little grains fly from his fingers. The sweep of his arm kept time with his steps, and when father finished sowing a field, every inch of the ground had its evenly scattered seeds, nowhere too many or too few. The seeds were too small to be seen on the ground, and you could not know how skillful a sower a man was until the seeds came up. Father told Almanzo about a lazy, worthless boy who had been sent to sow a field. This boy did not want to work, so he poured the seeds out of his sack and went swimming. Nobody saw him. Afterwards, he harrowed the field, and no one knew what he had done. But the seeds knew, and the earth knew, and when even the boy had forgotten his wickedness, they told it. Weeds took that field. When all the grain was sowed, Almanzo and Alice planted the carrots. They had sacks full of little red round carrot seeds hanging from their shoulders, like father's big seed sack. Father had marked the carrot field lengthwise with a marker whose teeth were only 18 inches apart. Almanzo and Alice, with the carrot seeds, went up and down the long field, straddling the little furrows. Now the weather was so warm that they could go barefooted. Their bare feet felt good in the air and the soft earth. They dribbled the carrot seeds into the furrows, and with their feet they pushed the dirt over the seeds and pressed it down. Almanzo could see his feet, but of course Alice's were hidden under her skirts. Her hoops rounded out. She had to pull them back and stoop to drop the seeds neatly into the furrow. Almanzo asked her if she didn't want to be a boy. She said, yes, she did. Then she said, no, she didn't. Boys aren't pretty like girls, and they can't wear ribbons. I don't care how pretty I be, Almanzo said and I wouldn't wear ribbons anyhow. Well, I like to make butter, and I like to patch quilts, and cook and sew and spin. Boys can't do that. But even if I be a girl, I can drop potatoes and soak carrots and drive horses as well as you can. You can't whistle on a grass stem, Almanzo said. At the end of the row, he looked at the ash trees, crumpled new leaves, and asked Alice, and asked Alice 
if she knew when to plant corn. She didn't, so he told her. Corn planting time is when the ash leaves are as big as squirrel's ears. How big a squirrel? Alice asked. Just an ordinary squirrel. Well, those leaves are as big as baby squirrel's ears, and it isn't corn planting time. For a minute, Almanzo didn't know what to think. Then he said, a baby squirrel isn't a squirrel, it's a kitten. But it's just as much a squirrel. No, it isn't. It's a kitten. Little cats are kittens, little foxes are kittens, little squirrels are kittens. A kitten isn't a cat, and a kitten isn't a squirrel either. Oh, Alice said. When the ash leaves were big enough, Almanzo helped plant the corn. The field had been marked with the potato marker, and Father and Royale and Almanzo planted it together. They wore bags of seeds corn, Ugh, bags of seed corn tied around their waists like aprons, and they carried hoes. At the corner of each square where the furrows crossed, they stirred up the soil, the soil with a hoe, and made a shallow hollow in it, and dropped two grains of corn into the hollow, and covered them with dirt, and patted the dirt firm. Father and Royale worked fast. Their hands and their hoes made exactly the same movements every time. Three quick slashes and a dab with the hoe, a flash of the hand, then a scoop and two pats with the hoe, and that hill of corn was planted. Then they made one quick stride forward and did it again. But Almanzo had never planted corn before. He did not handle the hoe so well. He had to trot two steps where Royale or Father took one because his legs were shorter. Father and Royale were ahead of him all the time. He could not keep up. One of them finished out his row each time so that he could start even again. He did not like that. But he knew that he would plant corn as fast as anybody when his legs were longer. Chapter 12, The Tin Peddler. One evening after sunset, Amanzo saw a white horse pulling a large, bright red cart up the road, and he yelled, The tin peddler's coming! The tin peddler's coming! Alice ran out of the hen house with her apron full of eggs. Mother and Eliza Jane came to the kitchen door. Royale popped out of the pump house, and the young horses put their heads through the windows of their stalls and whinnied to the big white horse. Nick Brown, the tin peddler, was a jolly fat man who told stories and sang songs. In the springtime, he went driving along all the country roads, bringing news from far and near. His cart was like a little house, swinging on stout leather straps between four high wheels. It had a door on either side, and from its rear a platform slanted upward like a bird's tail, held in place by straps that went to the cart's top. There was a fancy railing all around the top of the cart, and the cart and the platform and the wheels were all painted bright red, with beautiful scrolls painted bright yellow. High in front rode Nick Brown on a red seat above the rump of the sturdy white horse. Almanzo and Royale and Alice and even Eliza Jane were waiting when the cart stopped by the kitchen porch and Mother was smiling in the doorway. How do you do, Mr. Brown, she called. Put up your horse and come right in. Supper's almost ready. And Father called from the barn. Drive into the buggy house, Nick. There's plenty of room. Almanzo unhitched the sleek big horse and led him to water, then put him in a stall 
and gave him a double feed of oats and plenty of hay. Mr. Brown carefully curry-combed and brushed him and rubbed him down with clean cloths. He was a good horseman. After that, he looked at all the stock and gave his opinion of it. He admired Star and Bright and praised Father's colts. You ought to get a good price for those coming four-year-olds, he said to Father. Over by Saranac, the New York buyers are looking for driving horses. One of them paid $200 apiece last week for a team not a mite better than these. Almanzo could not speak while grown-ups were talking, of course, but he could listen. He didn't miss anything that Mr. Brown said, and he knew that the best time of all was coming after supper. Nick Brown could tell more funny stories and sing more songs than any other man. He said so himself, and it was true. Yes, sir, he said. I'll back myself, not alone against any man, but against a crowd of men. I'll tell story for story and sing song for song, as long as you'll bring men up against me. And when they're all done, I'll tell the last story and sing the last song. Father knew this was true. He had heard Nick Brown do it in Mr. Case's store in Malone. So after supper, they all settled down by the heater, and Mr. Brown began. It was after nine o'clock before anyone went to bed, and Almanzo's sides ached with laughing. Next morning after breakfast, Mr. Brown hitched the white horse to the cart and drove it up to the kitchen porch, and he opened the red doors. Inside that cart was everything ever made of tin. On shelves along the walls were nests of bright tin pails and pans and basins, cake pans, pie pans, bread pans, and dish pans. Overhead dangled cups and dippers, skimmers and strainers, steamers, colanders, and graters. There were tin horns, tin whistles, and tin toy dishes, and patty pans, and there were all kinds of little animals made of tin and painted brightly. Mr. Brown had made all these himself in wintertime, and every piece was made of good thick tin, well made and solidly soldered. Mother bought the big rag bags from the attic and emptied on the porch floor all the rags that she had saved during the last year. Mr. Brown examined the good, clean rags of wool and linen while Mother looked at the shining tinware, and they began to trade. For a long time, they talked and argued. Shining tinware and piles of rags were all over the porch. For every pile of rags that Mick Brown added to the big pile, Mother asked more tinware than he wanted to trade her. They were both having a good time, joking and laughing and trading. At last, Mr. Brown said, Well, ma'am, I'll trade you the milk pans and the pails, the colander and skimmer, and the three baking pans, but not the dish pan, and that's my last offer. Very well, Mr. Brown, Mother said, unexpectedly. She had got exactly what she wanted. Almanzo knew that she did not need the dish pan. She had set it out only to bargain with. Mr. Brown knew that, too, now. He looked surprised, and he looked respectfully at Mother. Mother was a good, shrewd trader. She had bested Mr. Brown, but he was satisfied, too, because he had got plenty of good rags for his tinware. He gathered up the rags and tied them into a bale, and heaved the bale onto the slanting platform behind his cart. The platform and the railing around the top of the cart were made to hold the rags that he took in trade. Then Mr. Brown rubbed his hands together and looked around, smiling. Well, now, he said, I wonder what these young folks would like. 
He gave Eliza Jane six little diamond-shaped patty pans to bake little cakes in. And he gave Alice six heart-shaped ones. And he gave Almanzo a tin horn painted red. They all said, thank you, Mr. Brown. Then Mr. Brown climbed to his high seat and took up the reins. The big white horse stepped out eagerly, well-fed and brushed and rested. The red cart went past the house and lurched into the road, and Mr. Brown began to whistle. Mother had her tinware for that year, and Almanzo had his loud squawking horn, and Mick Brown rode whistling away between the green trees and the fields. Until he came again next spring, they would remember his news and laugh at his jokes, and behind the horses in the fields, Almanzo would whistle the songs he had sung.